the Memorare. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to your protection, implored your help, or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to you, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To you I come, before you I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in your mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. All across the Gulf South, it's 7 a.m. Time to wake up on Catholic Community Media. Good morning, you're listening to Wake Up. On this beautiful Tuesday morning, you are tuning your heart to the truth. I'm Gabby Smith, along with David Dawson and Damian Clotto. Hey guys, happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Here we go. Good morning. <laughs> Three candles lit. Let's do this. All right. <laughs> well, let's do it. Today is the feast day of Blessed Urban the Fifth, and we'll pray a prayer for his intercession in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen, almighty and eternal God, you willed to set blessed urban over your entire people and to go before them in word and example. By his intercession, keep the pastors of your church together with their flocks and guide them in the way of eternal salvation. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, amen. Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. We will learn more about Blessed Urban the Fifth later on during our Saint of the Day, but we are starting off with some events in our listening area at 10 after. We will give you details about. You can find all of these events at our website at ccmedia.live. In 18 minutes, Steve Ray joins us. He's a Catholic convert and pilgrimage leader, and today he's talking about quite an interesting topic, anything and, and all those questions surrounding Jesus' birth. Mm -hmm. So Steve's going to answer basically all the questions that you may possibly have. They're so detailed. So we're going to learn a little bit more about those maybe myths surrounding Jesus' birth, he, maybe those questions that you've been asked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He does. He so goes into the, the details of what it was like in the... Um, yeah. Not stable, but in the nativity scene. Okay. Yeah, it's really good. Mm -hmm. It's really good. Yes. He's a myth yes. buster. Yeah, that's where you go. There you I go. Like that. Perfect. That's exactly what he is. <laughs> in 35 minutes, Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle joins us. She has a new book called Advent with Our Lady of Fatima. And Joseph Pierce in 48 minutes joins us. He is author of the book The Good, the Bad, and the Beautiful, A History in Three Dimensions. And stay tuned for Joseph's interview because you always learn something that you've never heard of before but makes total sense. I know. And it's coming from Joseph's, <laughs> Joseph's interview. Yeah. The yes, good, he is. the bad, and the beautiful the good the bad and the beautiful that's us go. three yeah i'll let y'all figure out who's which but, but <laughs> yeah figure that out okay. all righty uh, we ready for what i know who ain't the beautiful uh, uh, yes yeah, yes go ahead that's right here he's talking about himself again uh -oh. i wish he'd stop okay <laughs> weather wise today we'll be We'll be a lot like yesterday, only a little bit chillier. High is only going to be 60. We'll have some sunshine and clouds. Winds out of the east, 5 to 10. Tomorrow and Thursday, basically the same thing. Only a few degrees cool, uh, warmer, I should say. So overall, it's not been a bad week, if you don't mind a little bit of chilliness. Uh, come the weekend, though, it's going to be wet. And uh, looks like we're going to have a wet Christmas Eve and possibly a wet Christmas. I'm dreaming of at a least wet a Christmas. Okay. Okay. Right. And, um, right. and and so wear your your uh, galoshes 
that you're going to get under the Christmas I tree. I hope so. Yeah. Yes, I could use the little some. white ones with the little Santa elves on them. Yeah, yeah. You, know, mm-hmm. you That's like what that. you really wanted? You're just that, saying it. You're I, dropping I, hands. I, I saw your yes. Christmas list. So I, well, that I, has PJs on it, but that's another. Story. Okay. Yeah. Temperatures PJs right now. Year. Let's get back to the weather, <laughs> please. Uh, Covington and Baton Rouge—they're the low uh, temperatures right now of 37, 43 in Home and Thibodeau, 44 in New Orleans, and Gulfport is 38, and over in Mobile it's 40 degrees. So. As Dave prepares for the wet weekend, we hope you get out there and enjoy a beautiful day. It's almost five after the hour. We have your gospel and reflection coming your way in just a moment here on Wake Up. Tuesday of the third week of Advent. I'm Father Chris Decker, and today's gospel comes to us from Luke chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the priestly division of Abijah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in the eyes of God, observing all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Once, when he was serving as priest in his division's turn before God, according to the practice of the priestly service, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. Then, when the whole assembly of the people was praying outside at the hour of the incense offering, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled by what he saw, and fear came upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall name him John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers toward children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to prepare a people fit for the Lord. Then Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him in reply, I am Gabriel, who stand before God. I was sent to speak to you and to announce to you this good news. But now you will be speechless and unable to talk until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and were amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was gesturing to them, but remained mute. Then, when his days of ministry were completed, he went home. After this time, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she went into seclusion for five months, saying, So has the Lord done for me at a time when he has seen fit to take away my disgrace before others. We've heard the gospel, and now we reflect. Today, St. Luke begins to interweave the birth narratives of Jesus and John the Baptist in a way that shows that John was Jesus' forerunner, anticipated in his leap of joy in his mother's womb when Mary, the true Ark of the Covenant, comes into his presence bearing his Lord and Savior. These narratives serves as an intimate prelude 
to the symphony of marvelous events that will follow. It is clear that neither Zechariah nor Mary expected the amazing announcements of the angel Gabriel. As in all things supernatural, God takes the initiatives. So the very introduction of John and Jesus reveals God's plan for our salvation. Since the time of King Solomon, the priestly clans of Aaron were organized into 24 divisions, of which Abijah was one. Zechariah was one of 18,000 priests at that time who, when chosen by Lot, could one time only burn incense in the holy place. It was the fulfillment of a lifetime dream. In the temple, the angel Gabriel delivered the great news that the son of Zechariah's old age will go before the Lord in the spirit of Elijah. His name will be John, meaning the Lord has been gracious. Furthermore, as the greatest of the prophets, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while even in his mother's womb. Because the old priest doubted, he was struck kipos, a Greek word meaning both deaf and mute. After three days, the angel Gabriel promised that Elizabeth would conceive after normal relations with Zechariah. Her response was to withdraw to meditate on the goodness of God and to better prepare herself for the immense task of preparing her son for his future mission as God's forerunner. There are three lessons we can learn from these very holy people. Zechariah teaches us the importance of trust, especially when trust seems illogical. Elizabeth teaches us the importance of prayer. John teaches us to leap with joy whenever we are in Jesus' presence. Have a wonderful day. This is Jimmy Sagers. Thank you, Jimmy and Father Chris. We hope you're having a happy and uh, blessed Advent season as we prepare for Christmas. And in the meantime, people are preparing in different ways. And here's one particular event you may want to participate in. It's called Total Vision. It's a two-day seminar that is going to take a deep dive into John Paul II's Theology of the Body. So if you ever desire to learn more about the life-changing teachings uh, that this has to offer, this seminar could be for you. It's a two-day seminar, and they're going to be two different sessions. Session one is January 25th to the 26th. If you can't make that one, then go to session two, which is January 26th through the 27th. Uh, You can also uh, get all the materials will be provided, lunch, as well as... um, Some good insight. It includes your registration cost for $97. And uh, if you go to the first session, it's titled Overview of the Theology of the Body. The second session is uh, basically the beginning, remembering the garden. So two different topics, two different sessions. You may want to go to both. Uh, If you'd like more information, uh, you can go to ccmedia.live. The event is going to be a Mary Queen of Peace Catholic Church That's off the Causeway Approach in Mandeville, Louisiana, and that is uh, set for, uh, as I said, January 25th through the 27th. Which will be here before you know it. Yeah, 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 right around the corner. But, I mean, anybody that's ever learned about, I I know, because I've experienced it too, the theology of the body and learned it in detail. It's just one of those, why haven't I known this before? Why? It's just beautiful. 
It's fantastic. I highly recommend it. Uh, the annual Archdiocese Silver Wedding Anniversary Cert. Hmm? Silver Wedding Anniversary Celebration will be held on Sunday, March 17th at 3 p.m. at Our Lady of the Rosary Catholic Church in New Orleans. And the prayer service will honor couples who are celebrating or have recently celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary. Rookies. Anyway, the celebration... <laughs> <laughs> the celebration is open to couples married between 1994 and 1999. The Silver Wedding Anniversary Celebration is a prayer service, not a mass, and it'll be to fulfill it will not fulfill the Sunday obligations. Go to ccmedia.live for more details. Okay, don't forget they're leaving the light on for you for confession tomorrow at ah, yes. Our Lady of Mercy Catholic Church. That's from 6 to 7.30. And also St. Catherine of Siena in Metairie from 4.30 to 6. That's tomorrow. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for December 19th. Today we celebrate Blessed Pope Urban V. In 1362, the man elected Pope declined the office. When the cardinals could not find another person among them for that important office, they turned to a relative stranger, the holy person we honor today. The new Pope Urban V proved to be a wise choice. A Benedictine monk and canon lawyer, he was deeply spiritual and brilliant. He lived simply and modestly, which did not always earn him friends among clergymen who had become used to comfort and privilege. Still, he pressed for reform and saw to the restoration of churches and monasteries. Except for a brief period, he spent most of his eight years as Pope living away from Rome at Avignon, seat of the papacy from 1309 until shortly after his death. He came close but was not able to achieve one of his biggest goals, reuniting eastern and western churches. As Pope, Urban continued to follow the Benedictine rule— Shortly before his death in 1370, he asked to be moved from the papal palace to the nearby home of his brother so he could say goodbye to the ordinary people he had so often helped. The new Saint of the Day app is available now for your smartphone or tablet. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Almost 19 after the hour on this Tuesday morning. A happy Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thank you for joining us here on Wake Up. With us now is a regular, uh, Steve Ray. He is a Catholic convert, pilgrimage leader, and also author of the book uh, Crossing the Tiber. He's just an all-around nice guy, to say the least, and very knowledgeable to add to that. Good morning, Steve. Welcome back to Wake Up. Good morning. This is Damien, correct? It's the one and only. Okay, good. I have <laughs> yeah, a grandson. Brace who's yourself. About 20. <laughs> I have a grandson who's about 20 years old, a handsome young man named Damien, and oh. he's very seriously considering the priesthood. So. Really? Yeah. Well, he will start yeah. to be in my prayers, I can assure you. Uh, man, that Thank would be you. great. I it. Oh, you bet. And uh, I, I automatically assumed he was handsome when you said his oh, name was okay. Damien. Yeah, yeah, all uh, right. but, but with that being said, let's, let's get a little more serious because I think this is a great topic and, and a question people sometimes ask but don't do a deep dive into, and that is, was Jesus really born in Bethlehem? Or was he like in a suburb, like New Orleans, like Metairie? Was he born in Metairie, but they just said, nah, he's from New Orleans? 
Well, there's a lot of skeptics that always try to debunk the scriptures and the history as we know it today, but I've, I've led people on pilgrimages through Bethlehem over a hundred times, and I always get that question, and uh, it's very it's easy to answer. Yes, we do know that he was born in Bethlehem, and we know right where he was born in Bethlehem, because Bethlehem's been there for a long time. 600 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Micah says in chapter 5, verse 2, and I'll sing it for you, O little town of Bethlehem. That Christmas carol comes right out of chapter 5, verse 2 of Micah, which says, O little town of Bethlehem, too small to be among the clans of Judah, yet from you will come the great king. We know where Judah was. Judah was encompassed Jerusalem and the area just to the south of that. Bethlehem's only four miles away from Jerusalem. And it says that when Jesus was born, the wise men came, the shepherds came, Babies under two years old were killed because of the baby born in that cave right over there. Mm. And all of these amazing things happened, and the locals don't forget things like that. And we know that even from the very beginning, there was 2,000 years before Jesus was born there, Jacob was going through Bethlehem with his wife, Rachel, from the north, going down to Beersheba. And he passed, coming to Bethlehem, it says that Rachel got off the camel, gave birth to her son Benjamin, and died in childbirth at the entrance of Bethlehem, and they buried her there. Mm. By the way, 4,000 years later, you can still go visit her tomb. So the the Israelites knew, even after 800 years of being in Israel, I mean in Egypt and coming back to the land for 800-year period, they said one day King Saul lost his donkeys. And the prophet Samuel says, go to the tomb of Rachel and you'll find your donkeys. Can you believe that? 800 years after she was hmm. buried. Most Americans, Damien, don't even know where their great-grandparents are buried. No, and yet that's the true. Israelite people, they remembered 800 years later she was, was buried there on the entrance of Bethlehem. Do you think they're going to forget where Jesus was born? <laughs> so it says that the, the fathers of the church said that even at this late date, some of them at 200s or 100, came to see the, the place where Jesus was born. And then in 324, Queen Helen came from Rome and built a magnificent basilica over top of that cave where Jesus was born. Nobody ever forgot where that was. And then millions and millions of pilgrims have been coming there ever since. So there are some sites in the Holy Land, like Emmaus, that we're not mm-hmm. perfectly certain of. There's several sites that claim to be Emmaus. But places like the crucifixion, resurrection, the birth of Jesus, there is no question. So, and, and as you said, you've been there and you've seen for yourself. That's the beauty of, of your leadership on pilgrimages. And, and at the same time, uh, what about the fact that the th- I always wonder if the three wise men one, were there really only three? And did they really follow a star to wind up uh, where Jesus was born? Um, or is that a myth? We don't know the answer to the first one. We do know the answer to the second question. There were We don't know how many wise men there were. It doesn't say three right. wise men. We assume there's three wise men because there were three gifts given, gold, incense, and myrrh. So we say, well, there's three gifts. One probably came with his arms full of that gift on his camel and got off, and he gave him his package. But we don't know that. There have been through history as as few as two and as many as ten that have been speculated about. But I think three is a good guess because of the number of gifts that were given, but we really have no idea how many there were. I think of the Trinity uh, is why three also. Yep. 
but we know that's three. Oh, no, no, I know. But I had the number three because, you know, three gifts and and Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it makes sense. It, it, It makes sense. Now, uh, regarding the star, yes, it says they followed a star. I don't think, you know, there's a lot of people that say it had, well, they were trying to figure out what stars were aligned in the sky at the time and what, what comets and asteroids were up there that would correspond. But it, it says that the star that led them followed them and then rested above the manger. That's not your average star or, or comet. That was some special supernatural, in my estimation, and I've read a lot of these other speculations about what it was. It says that the star led them and stopped over the manger. So it seems to me that it was a supernatural light that actually brought them right to that. It's like GPS, you know, brought them right yeah. directly yeah. to the place where Jesus was born. And he wasn't born in a barn. You know, we, we th- sometimes we think, well, there's a manger. That's where the animals were. It's in a barn. But they didn't have barns like we do back then. What they had is caves. Mm-hmm. And where Jesus was born was actually a cave. And even now, when I go to Bethlehem, when we were filming our movie on, on Mary and Jesus and also on David, we went out into the wilderness outside of Bethlehem. And everywhere you go, there's natural caves built into the hillside. And they all have two things. They all have <coughs> black soot on the roof because there's been fires made in those caves for thousands of years where people stayed in them overnight. Mm-hmm. And there's always things on the ground that look like raisins, but they're not. Because sheep have been in there, and <laughs> sheep droppings, oh and yeah. this is where you kept the sheep at night. Because there were lions and bears up until the 13th century; mm-hmm. they've been they were hunted out of extinct into extinction. But there were. David said that when a lion and a bear came after my sheep, I went out and killed them. So where did where do you put your sheep if you're out in the fields? with your sheep, where do you keep them? You bring them into a cave at night. You build a fire in the cave or at the entrance of the cave. The shepherd sleeps in the entrance of the cave with his sheep protected on the inside. That's why Jesus says, I'm the doorway into the sheepfold. What does he mean? He says, I'm protecting my sheep. If you're a lion or a bear or the devil, you have to go mm. through my dead body to get to my sheep, and I'm going to protect them. Mm. And that's where they kept the sheep at night. Yeah. And there's bar- there's caves like that everywhere, uh, in especially out in the in the Judean wilderness around Bethlehem. Wow. And uh, what about December 25th? Have they been able to pinpoint that as the exact day of Jesus being born? Well, the biggest objection to that is, my goodness, it's cold out there during December, and how would they keep the sheep out in the fields at night with a shepherd so they couldn't be out there at night because it's all snow and cold and ice? Well, whoever came up with that idea must have lived in Minnesota because that's where, or Michigan. We've already got snow on the ground today. I'm looking I'm looking out the window right now. It snowed last night here in Michigan. But in I've been in Bethlehem many times. The sheep are out there in Shepherd's Field. That's where we go have mass with our groups in Shepherd's Field. We have mass actually in the cave where those shepherds were the, in that first Christmas Eve. Wow. And it it does snow there. I've been in Bethlehem a couple times when it snowed, but it melts real quick. I once time had a snowball fight with a bunch of little <laughs> Palestinian school kids over there. Uh, we got off the bus and thought this would be fun. And But um, it, it's it's much more temperate there. It's probably more like Louisiana right. than it is like Michigan. So to say that they couldn't have it there because of the winter is ridiculous. The sheep yeah. have to eat. You have to take them out to eat. So, um, And there's been a lot of argument about December 25th, but I've read some and I have convinced that December 25th is the date that it happened or very close to that, and that's as good a date as any 
and it certainly fits in with the church year, and it certainly is not impossible that it was December because of the sheep. Got you. All right, we got about a minute, minute and a half left. I always like to save the end for where your next trips may be. So uh, looking at your website, I know the Holy uh, Land is a no-go zone for now, and boy, let's continue to pray for our friends in Israel and also uh, uh, the Palestinians there and pray that uh, peace will come to that area soon. Yeah, we got to pray for the Jewish people. That's their homeland, and their homeland has been attacked by Hamas. And believe me, Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people. Most of the Palestinian people I know despise Hamas. In fact, I have a Palestinian Muslim friend who joined the army to go fight against Hamas. But the the reality is we're hoping our February trip goes. But I did lose three trips, but hoping February and May still go. But we added Lourdes and Fatima in April. If people want to go to Lourdes and Fatima, this is the time. It's a beautiful time of year. We're going to Ireland. We're going to, uh, this year, we're going on a St. Paul cruise through the Mediterranean. We're going to hit 10 biblical sites and an after trip going to Rome. We're going to St. Augustine, Florida, where Catholicism started. We're going to the shrines of Wisconsin, and we're going to have mass and dinner with Cardinal Burke. So we've got people go to CatholicConvert.com. We've got a lot of things coming up, and uh, we're excited about these trips for 2024. Steve Ray, Defender of the Catholic Faith, we are so glad to have you this morning, and we wish you the merriest of Christmas. Merry Christmas to you guys, too, and everybody out in the Louisiana listening audience. All right. God bless you, my brother. All right. Again, go to CatholicConvert.com if you're interested on going on a pilgrimage with Steve Ray, and he usually brings on along his wife, and it's uh, educational and also an experience you'll never forget. All right, folks, it's moving right along. We're at the halfway point of Wake Up, Don't Go Too Far. Thirty-five past the hour, you're tuning your heart to the truth. I'm David Dawson, along with Damian Collado and Gabby Smith. And uh, right now we have one of my favorite uh, people that I like to interview, Joseph Pierce. He is the author of The Good, The Bad, and The Beautiful, A History in Three Dimensions. Good morning, Joseph. Good morning. It is good to have you back with us again. I love discussing your books, and every time a book comes my way of yours, it uh, it blows my mind. And you did it again. Uh, we're, we're talking about the history in three dimensions, and uh, I love the title, The Good, The Bad, and The Beautiful. Is that uh, anything like our Spaghetti Westerns that, uh, that we're fans of? <laughs> Well, I, I do mention the introduction. Uh, I, I give a nod in the direction of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Uh, and obviously the good, the true, and the beautiful are the, are the philosophical transcendental. So I'm playing on both of those uh, uh, phases, shall we say. Right, right. And uh, what you're doing in this book, and this is the part that I just found fascinating, is you go through each century, from the first century all the way up through the 20th century, and uh, uh, break it down into the good and the bad and the beautiful, right? Yes, yeah, so that was the idea, basically. First of all, to have one chapter for each century to keep it um, accessible mm-hmm. and not too unwieldy, make it a, a relatively easy to read uh, book, allow, allowing a Catholic to get the full panorama of, of the history of, of Christendom, basically a history of, of, of Christian civilization from the time of Christ. But also, as you say, to break it down into these three dimensions of the good, that th- those who are saints uh, in each century, or at least those who are trying to be saints, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then the bad, uh, which I sometimes, that's either Caesar or Judas, generally speaking. Right. In other words, secular, secularism or treachery and heresy within the church. And then the beautiful. In every single, in every single century, there are beautiful works of art, music, literature being written uh, mm-hmm. or produced. Um, and, I wanted to, and, and that's a, a way of praising God through raising our hearts and minds to him in beauty. So uh, that's, that's the good, the bad, and the beautiful, those three dimensions. They like three threads that run through each of the twenty centuries. That's that's the part that I love, and you have it in in small nuggets. Of course, I mean you have to because it's <laughs> because of the time spent. But but it's it's so amazing. Again, like you say, the the good that's come out of it, then the bad, and then the beautiful that arose a lot of times out of the good. One of my favorite. I mean, I, I'm going through the book, and I, I picked the fourth century. And I was thinking, okay, this will have the most impact. This will be the most powerful century. And I realized that wasn't true because I just kept reading. I couldn't stop reading your book. But 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 why don't we just do the fourth century? Talk about the fourth century because that, that I found that one amazing. For instance, the good what? in the fourth century. Yeah, well, obviously the fourth century is a time that's very important as regards the church solidifying itself in the presence of heresy so you you, you have arianism is very powerful yeah then you have the council the, you know the, the, the great uh, ecumenical councils um and of course emerging on the scene at the end of that century is the uh, is the great saint augustine right. uh whose confessions and city of god are, are going to be monuments uh, of christendom uh, throughout uh, you know th- well, until our present day. So, so it, it, it's, a, it's a time in which the church is still facing persecution, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, although, of course, it's the time also of Constantine. So it's when the persecution finally breaks, although there's a, there's a, there's a reversion to it under Julian the Apostate, the emperor. So, you know, it's a, it's a time of turbulence, but also a time in which the, the church is flexing its um, uh, theological, philosophical, spiritual muscle, and, yeah. and if you like, emerging from the shadows of the catacombs into the full light of day. I think, I think it, it, it looked to me, uh, Joseph, like this showed the strength of the Catholic Church. This showed it being the rock uh, that Christ talked about, that you, 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 the gates of hell will not destroy it, because here you've had this persecution all the way up in here, and then everything just appears to break down uh, and uh, the Edict of Milan, and then you've got uh, uh, coming out, and then you got Saint uh, Anthony, and then you got Saint Augustine coming out. I mean, that's pretty strong uh, against against what had gone uh, wrong the century before. But then you got the bad. Talk about the bad. Well, again, this is this is of course a time of. Um, uh, of heresy, uh, yeah. Arianism, right. um, where the majority of the bishops of the church are actually heretics. I mean, you know, we have, we have to remember, remember, you know, sometimes think that it's, it's the tendency of every generation to think that its own particular generation is living in the darkest of all times. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the, one of the important things about mm-hmm. understanding the past, understanding history, is to see that basically the bad is always with us. Um, and indeed it's almost, almost always more powerful than the good in terms of politics, in terms mm-hmm. of actual power. Um, you know, this, the strength of, of sanctity uh, is is basically ultimately in its destination, which is heaven. It's not in terms of its political power. And one thing we see about the fourth century um, is the fact that after relentless persecution, basically since the time of Christ, the, ch- the church can emerge from the catacombs. But as you say, then we have this division within the church, right. and then we have a renewal of persecution under Julian the Apostate. Um, so, you know, there's, in every century, 
that you have those, they say, that the, the good who are trying to be saints, trying to be good disciples of our Lord. Right. And there are those who want to put themselves first. Ultimately, there are only two, two, two choices that each of us have to make. Either we lay down our lives for others in self-sacrifice, that's called love, or we lay down the life of others for ourselves. That's called pride. Mm-hmm. And basically, the, the bad, the bad in each century is, is, is where we allow pride to take, uh, to, to dominate our souls. Uh, and that's the power of secularism and also the power of, uh, of heresy and treachery within the church. And that's the thread that runs throughout all of the centuries in your book, right? It's the same pattern. Exactly. That's what yeah. I wanted to show people that, you know, that, that there's not, the only golden age uh, is, is not in time. The golden age is heaven. Um, right. if, 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 if we look to the future for golden age, like the progressives do, we're believing in an illusion. It's a self-delusional illusion. Um, there will be no golden age in the future. But also there has not been a golden age in the past in the sense of looking back to a particular century and saying, well, everything was hunky-dory then. I mean, right. why is it like that today? It just isn't true. Yes, we have great saints in every century. Thanks be to God. He sends us who we need to, to, to see us through the darkness. But there's always the darkness in every century. Uh, and, 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 and the saints and the church serves as, ca- serves as candles in that darkness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and then you have the beautiful of the fourth century. You have uh, St. Peter's Basilica being built, and you describe that just, just uh, very beautifully. And then, of course, as you're saying, the saints that emerge from Arianism. Yeah, which is absolutely crucial. And, of course, they know St. Augustine was, was, was crucial to, to, to that to defending orthodoxy from the Aryan attacks upon it mm-hmm. uh, and turning the tide. Because I said, you know, that it did look at, for a time in the fourth century as if the Aryans were going to to, uh, to, to prove triumphant in the church yeah. and take the church in an entirely heterodox direction. But, you know, through these great men and obviously through grace and the use of reason, um, that, uh, that, that, that that disaster, that cataclysm was averted and the church emerged stronger than ever uh, in the uh, in the fifth century, and that, that's where, of course, we get um, the city of God. Be, uh, and again, that's the, that's the other pattern. So the good in time uh, is church militant. Uh, that 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 is the city of God mm-hmm. um, uh, in in time. Obviously, the city of God ultimately is in heaven. Right. Um, but but uh, we also have the city of man, and that's always besieging the city of God in every century. That's the bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. All these topics that you write about, I mean, Shakespeare being Catholic, um, your interview with Solzhenitsyn, you you, you always come up with different things. How did you come up with this? Where did this come from? Well, you know, I I found that many people get somewhat despondent about our own times, thinking that everything is getting worse. Um, and, you know, and, and that's really buying into the progressive mm-hmm. agenda. The progressives think everything's getting better. We think everything's getting worse, but we both basically be- believe everything's getting somewhere, right? Whereas I, what I want to show ultimately that, yes, history is a story. It's like the bio tapestry. It's a tapestry. Yes. But it's woven with those three threads of humanity, the good, the bad, and the beautiful. And that's present in, in, in every century, including our own. So I wanted people to be able to see that the past uh, in order to understand the present. You know, we, we have to understand the past in order to know yep. where we've been. And unless we know where we've been, we don't know where we are. And if we don't know where we are, we don't know where we're going. Amen to that. Amen to that. All right. Tell so, Washington, will you? <laughs> well, I tell you, um, uh, Joseph, where, I, I tell you, oh gosh, we're out of time. Yeah. Shucks. Uh, where can we get your book? 
Uh, the best place to get all of my stuff, the one-stop place is my own personal website, jpearce.co, J-P-E-A-R-T-E.co. Fantastic. Looking forward to your next book, Joseph. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. God bless all you. All right. All right. We're going to come back with Donna Cooper, Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle with Gabby on Wake Up. It is 7.48, on, it was 48 past the hour on Wake Up. We're so glad that you're joining us today and tuning your heart to the truth. I'm Gabby Smith, along with Damian Clotto and David Dawson. Our next guest is Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle. She is a Catholic author, and today we are reflecting on Advent as we are well into our third week. But Donna Marie has a new book called Advent with Our Lady of Fatima that she's going to dive deeper into today. Good morning, Donna Marie. Thank you for being with us today. Good morning, Gabby. Thank you so much for having me. Well, um, Advent is my favorite liturgical year, and I love Our Lady of Fatima, so I was really excited whenever I saw this pop into my inbox. Tell our listeners a little bit more about how we can reflect and uh, devote our Advent to Our Lady of Fatima, along with other people that we can find in your book. Sure. Thank you for asking, and that's great that it's your uh, favorite liturgical season of the year, and it is a beautiful Mm -hmm. season because we're supposed to get our hearts ready for the Christ child, but also, some people forget, we're also supposed to get ready for the second coming of Christ, which is a little bit daunting, perhaps, but, you know, uh, that's what we're supposed to be doing. So, I put this book together because, uh, well, I had written a couple of other books on Our Lady of Fatima, and I was just so in love with, you know, I fell in love with the Fatima children, and just Our Lady's Mm -hmm. message was so important, so... I wanted to carry it further and try to, um, you know, do an Advent uh, reflection throughout Advent, focusing on, you know, her directions, her encouragement, bringing other characters in along the way, you know, the Fatima children, Father Andrew Apostoli, Mm -hmm. who is a Fatima expert and a friend of mine, and St. John Paul II, and even Mother Teresa, so everyone in the book is, is connected to the message of Our Lady of Fatima, but also, of course, to our faith and, um, you know, trying and encouraging us and trying to, um, you know, I think we, when we get close to these people who are like lights along the way and, and also saints who have gone before us, we can really be encouraged but also strengthened and, you know, they their prayers are efficacious so we can call upon them. So I tried to, you know, um, weave all this teaching in here throughout the the season of Advent and have it divided up into the weeks. Like week one would be hope, week two would be peace, week three would be joy, and week four would be love. And with these, um, you know, the first part of it with Father Andrew Apostoli and then the shepherd children come in. And I'm just looking at the table of contents while I'm telling you in the third week, (laughs) St. John Paul II, and the fourth with Mother Teresa. You know, sometimes Advent falls, um, when Christmas falls, we miss some of the end of this book. We couldn't, but this, we could miss it, but this year, we, um, I believe we yeah. go through everything, so it's good that we can, and, and I think you could also look back on these teachings, even if it's not Advent, and there's a lot, if I may say so, a lot to learn um, from these, you know, these holy um, beacons of hope <laughs> that we have in our, in our church. 
Most definitely. Will you also mention how we can grow closer to Our Lady and keep our Advent frenzy free? Donna Marie, I was talking to a few people yesterday who seemed that they were just way too stressed out. They had so many gifts to wrap. They didn't send out their Christmas cards. They're trying to make everything look absolutely perfect. And Christmas is only a few days away. But we have to understand, uh, and and, and these were Catholics I was talking to. So, uh, you know, we're in the Advent season preparing, but things don't actually have to be absolutely perfect how can this book help us focus on why we celebrate advent before christmas and that's so important gabby because i talked to somebody at church the other day and she was so frazzled because uh she had a lot to do and she just couldn't seem to find peace and i i think and i hope and pray the book can can bring some peace someone's heart to our hearts, you know, when we read this and mm-hmm. meditate upon it, reflect and pray, because then we we realize the real reason we're, you know, in this season, not to have everything perfect. We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be, we should just mm-hmm. drop that right now, because it's only going to give added stress. And I always tell people, especially moms in the trenches and everything, you know, that they're doing yes. so much, just focus on, even if it's just one tradition you carry into your Advent season from your family or one fun recipe you're going to do or something like that, but not trying to make it mm-hmm. perfect or, you know, we can never do that. Just And so hopefully they can, um, you know, read a reflection, just settle down, even if they can't follow it every day, just pick it up and read something and pray and, and not get so caught up in all of the craziness, because then before you know it, the season is gone. You didn't dig your heels yeah. into faith and into the season and, and you know you might be lamenting that it wasn't um you know sort of worthwhile in in a prayerful way because yes caught up with so many other things you're so right. Seeing the beauty in the Advent season as we prepare for the Christmas season. Donna Marie, what was your inspiration behind writing something like this? Because there's so many different Advent reflections and things that take us through Advent. Of course, everyone does it kind of differently, uh, but what makes yours unique? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, well, I just, you know, I, I pray and I write. I just, I feel our Lord guides me. I feel our, our Blessed Mother guides me to to write what is needed, and I think we really need this message of Fatima right now in our lives. Father Andrew Apostoli mm-hmm. used to say it's more relevant today than, you know, uh, when Our Lady appeared uh, so long ago, more than 100 years ago, and and so, you know, I want to bring that message forward to everyone and just have it right there at their fingertips, and they don't have to look anything up, it's just all right there in the book, and all these wonderful <laughs> stories from the people I have in the book that can really nourish our hearts and really uplift our spirits. So I'm hoping, you know, people will get closer to Our Lady and to follow her messages and her, you know, her instructions to us. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. She's a perfect model. Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle, Catholic author of the book Advent with Our Lady of Fatima. Where can our listeners and viewers go and pick up their copy? Oh, thanks for asking. Well, definitely at Sophia Institute. You can go online, Sophia Institute. You can go to uh, EWTNRC, uh, my website, www.donnacooperoboyle.com, or your local Catholic heroic bookstore. Uh, heroic, I like <laughs> Thank that. Thank you for, uh, <laughs> I like that as well. <laughs> Thank you so much, Donna Marie, for joining us today. Have a blessed rest of your Advent and a Merry Christmas to you and your family. Oh. 
Thank you so very much, and I wish the same for you. Thanks. We're united in prayer. You too. Amen. God Definitely. bless you. And looking forward looking forward to her next book as well. This isn't the last time you're going to be hearing from her. Oh, Don no, Marie, she, so. she cranks them out. No. <laughs> and Joseph Pierce. How does I, he I, do I, it? I, I just want to know. know. And, and, and the different things that they come up with. This is the one thing these two authors have in common. They don't always follow the same subject. It's going to be something completely different. And that just, uh, I love that. You, you just never know what's going to come across uh, come across the desk, you know, from these folks. It's good stuff. But I love the fact that she's keeping yes. us sane during these times. You know, when she's talking about us doing all this preparing and all this running around and everything, like, you know, we've, we've thrown gatherings, we've thrown parties and everything. And then suddenly you look and it's like, oh, that's gone. Oh, it's over. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You want something to stick, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, I think uh, since we've been talking about Advent and preparation, this prayer is appropriate to end our show this morning. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, grant us the grace to make the most of this time of anticipation for your arrival at Christmas. May our... May... uh, our faith resist uh, may our faith rest in you my hope looks toward spending eternity with you and help us grasp the value of time in the face of eternity lord help us to see the signs that you send into our lives amen amen in the name of the father amen. son holy spirit amen Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you to Karen Cotton, our video technical director, and Jeff Blackwell, our audio director, for making us look and sound very amazing today. Thank you for being with us. Like I said, we'll join you tomorrow at 7 a.m. Central Time. Peter Finney joins us from the Clarion Herald, Dr. Jordan Haddad from Notre Dame Seminary, and Bill Huey. Have a wonderful Tuesday. God bless. Wake Up is a production of Catholic Community Media.